Hey guys, welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. We're finishing up here. We're all the way to the end. Verse 8 is where we'll begin today. Um, and hopefully, since we've gone through 1 Peter and now we're finishing up 2 Peter, um, hopefully we're getting uh, an idea of what Peter has been trying to pass along to me and you. And there are a number of things, but one of them that stands out to me um, is that we don't have to wait to be living in the kingdom today, okay? Meaning like we don't have to wait for Jesus to come back to really live a kingdom lifestyle, okay? And, and, and appreciate that from one another. I think sometimes we can oftentimes think, man, it's kind of bad down here and I can't wait. When Jesus comes back, then it's gonna be really, really great. Except Peter's calling us to something different. He's saying, he's teaching us, how do we live this way here in the meantime, as we're waiting for Jesus, and he, but he culminates it here in this section, and in verse 8, I'm going to go ahead and just read the rest of this book right here, okay? It's 10 verses. Uh, Dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like one day. The Lord doesn't delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, it's clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for and earnestly desire the coming of the day of God. The heavens will be on fire and be dissolved because of it. The elements will melt with heat, but based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness will dwell. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found at peace with him without spot or blemish. Also regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all his letters in which there are some matters that are hard to understand. The untaught and unstable twist them to their own destruction as, as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. 
Amen. So uh, hopefully one of the things, um, we have a great resource right here. We actually get to carry our Bibles around. We get to go home and study them and we get, you know, we have this easy access, whether it's on your phone or here in the paper print Bible or whatever it is. We have a really great resource that I'm not sure they had when these letters were coming around, okay? Is, is you, you would have this read to your group and certainly people could take notes and certainly people could do all of those different things. But the reason why I bring that up is because um, oftentimes we've lost our, our sharpness in our listening skills, right? And then we hear something like that. And I don't know about you guys, but I think what can happen when we read the Bible is there could be a sense of anxiety of, wow, there's a lot there. And how am I going to put all of these things into practice tomorrow? Okay, we've read a lot in 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and there can just be kind of this ratcheted level of anxiety as we look at this. But hopefully what we've been learning as well is, is the writers of the New Testament scripture keep going back to very simple principles that Jesus taught. And so as we're listening to these things, hopefully we're learning you know, to, to really listen to, in particular, maybe some things that, that are standing out to us, but also that we're able to take advantage of the fact that we have God's Word to go back and look into this and what He's actually saying. And, and, and so we have a really great gift here. But at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of curious if you're sensitive enough to know or to start getting an idea of where is Peter going if he was speaking directly into my life? Are you starting to get a little bit of an idea of what maybe, what maybe he knows in the Holy Spirit that you're hearing words and you're going, yeah, okay, those, I'm starting to hear this. I've heard this theme, okay? And maybe, maybe you're trying to avoid that. Maybe you're overwhelmed by that or whatever. Um, but let's take this section right here and just kind of tease it out a little bit and see what we've got, okay? So he says this first thing, dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. I mean, that's just, that's low-hanging fruit right there, okay? Don't let this one thing escape you, right? And he says, the Lord, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, okay? So let's, like, let's stop there for one second, okay? Um, this particular section, but, but really many sections of the New Testament, we can go off into like this rabbit hole that is interesting. I enjoy like contemplating what these things could mean. A thousand years in a day, and you know, what's that all about and all these things. And, and here's what I just want to share with us is that this right here, he's trying to get us to understand a concept, but it's not... Our spiritual act of worship is not to understand and know exactly what that word means right there. Okay, I get it. Because Why do I say that? It's very easy to become Christian philosophers. Like, man, when I have so much to say about a thousand years and a day and a day and a thousand years, we can go, man, that's really fascinating. Yeah. But that's not righteousness. Knowing stuff isn't righteousness, is it? Right? And so there's information, and it's wonderful information. It's amazing information. It's meant to be good news information. It's meant for us to look at this and go, man, I'm glad his time isn't my time. I'm glad about that because as he talks about patience, he's saying the reason that his time, which is he's not bound by it, the reason that's better 
is because he's being patient for every one of us and everyone who's ever lived. He's being patient in order for them to be rescued. Yeah. All right, what is that? So, so just kind of in your ear, do you hear that? Do you hear that description of God right there, okay? Is this description of God? Because I, I know that there are some of us in here, when I started talking about burning and loud noise and dissolving and heavens and all of these things, you got locked in right there and you misread something that isn't in this passage. Okay, but we see right off the bat, isn't it amazing that we're told right here, he says, listen, God's not just like forgetting about sending his son back. He's not just sitting around like doing nothing. He's actually, his love is creating a level of patience so nobody perishes, right? Now we live in a very insulated part of the world. Okay, we live in like this Bible Belt, like Uber, Christian, you know, and quite honestly, if you've never lived outside of here, you you don't probably have an idea of how evil our world is. Like how desperately vile the world around us is. Okay? And so sometimes we're we're thinking, yeah, he doesn't want anyone to perish. We're thinking of all the good people who he doesn't want to perish. Like, oh, the nice people like my neighbors and the nice people like our teachers and the nice people. But he's actually even talking about the most vile human beings. If that doesn't sink in, that's going to be a really big problem of how we understand God, right? It's going to be a really tough thing to do the things he asks us to do. If we don't understand that, that it's not just the good people God loves, there is a hope and a patience for the worst of humanity to come to repentance. Okay? And that's what we see right here. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And, he, and you can actually like put that back to back right there in verse 15 when he says, regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation, okay? So hopefully right off the bat, if we don't like absorb anything else to know that, man, it is a great, great, great thing that we have a patient God, okay? And if you're still locked into the fire and the melting and all of those things, we're about to get to that part, right? But let's kind of remember that as we go on. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and again, I'm bringing these things up because I know for years, I know how my mind worked in these passages, which is like a thief is not good. This must be not good. Okay, he's talking about thieves. I don't like that. And he's going to come like a thief? Like that scares me just a little bit because if somebody were coming to my home tonight who was a thief, that would be scary. Yeah. All right, except, right, let's not take that too far. He says he's going to come like a thief. You don't know he's coming. That's simple. All right? Now, even that explanation, you may go, Kiki, didn't help me out, man. Like, uh, the fact that I don't know when he's coming is making me even more anxious than the thief. Okay? But he is saying, listen, we're getting closer to it. He hasn't completely abandoned the plan of sending Jesus back. In fact, that's when the good stuff is really going to, like, get going right there. Okay? But he says he's going to come like a thief, so don't try to identify when that will be. All right? Yeah. Do not, do, uh, listen, you have complete and total permission 
to not look up websites that are telling you they know when Jesus is coming back, okay? I'm just saying, everyone in the Bible close to Jesus said, we don't know, including Jesus. Right. Except the, the World Wide Web has somehow figured it out. And just, you can tell yourself, this is a phony thing. Let me set this off to the side. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, pay attention to this, on that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works in it will be disclosed, okay? Just picturing that, some of you are going, that's going to be awesome. <laughs> like, that is going to be amazing. Things are melting. And, and, and I think the idea here is, he, he's, he's trying to show, you know, it's going to be undeniable what's happening. Okay, this is going to be undeniable. And he says that all of this is going to be happening. And he says, since all of these things are to be destroyed in this way, it's clear what kind of people we ought to be. So just take inventory right now. Okay, take some inventory on how, on how you're following this train of thought. Okay. Because if he's saying, since all these things are to be destroyed this way, it's clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait and earnestly desire the coming of the day of God. So if our thought process is, oh my goodness, I am so scared for that day to come and I don't want to see things melting and catching on fire and all of that kind of stuff. And, and so when I have to, oh my goodness, godly and holy, I don't even know what those mean, but I'm going to do them because I'm scared to death of this. Except, as he says, as you wait for and earnestly desire this to happen. He said, we can eagerly desire, like, this is going to be great. See, the purpose of writing all that stuff isn't to just let me really scare people so they begin behaving the right way. Right? He's saying, no, this can be eagerly desired, but he says this thing. He says these two words, right? He uses words godly and holy. All right? Some of, like, when, when we hear that oftentimes, we go, okay, I'm checked out. Those words sound very unattainable godly and holy right? and so I hope as we're studying this and, and hopefully I can be a benefit to you in this is be willing to change the way that you may view these and, and, and some of us may be going I just don't want to look at those because they seem too like high and mighty they seem too much of, a, of, of this idea of like I can't reach all of that but let's break down these just really quickly, okay? Is you have this idea of holiness that when God put his Holy Spirit inside of us and he said, I'm making you holy, which is I want my people, us, Christians all over the world, to be a distinctive people from the rest of the world. I want them to be different in terms of not just the, this perfect conduct, but how they come to their decisions, right? That there's thought in how they're living and that they're living in a way that they're looking to this king named Jesus to guide their decision-making process and guide their relationships, okay? So you, that's what you want to picture. This isn't like he pictured us sitting here on Sundays and going, that's the way I want it all the time. 
He's saying, no, I want my people everywhere as they're infiltrating their profession and homes and families and all of these things. This is what I want for them to be distinctive because when there's a difference, people naturally want to know why there's a difference. Like they want to know, and here's the interesting thing, okay, is, is we don't have to do a whole lot to get people to start asking, why are you making that decision the way you are? Why are you living this? And, and, and here's the deal. When we start living this, I don't think we have to tell our neighbor, well, I'm living godly in a holy life. I think we can describe what we're doing and they'll fully understand what godly and holy means, Okay. And so you have this idea of a distinct people. He's like, listen, live in a way that's distinctive, that's different, that's not like the world, but live in godliness too. And here's the great thing about godliness is this devotion to God that leads to a way of life that pleases him. It's a, it, it starts out with this devotion, this loyalty, and this desire, and this love and that guides us to live a life pleasing to him, okay? So maybe that made the waters even a little muddier, okay? Turn over to Matthew chapter 5 because let's just kind of put some clothes on this a little bit here, okay? It's going, okay, but what does that look like? Well, I want you to think, uh, think about something, okay? Um, it just, to, just to move you away from this idea of the flames and the fire and the scariness and all that kind of stuff to this idea of eagerly desiring this, of man, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. This is gonna be phenomenal, and we're eagerly waiting. This is, a, this is a good thing, okay? Remember this, godliness and holiness are absolutely rooted in our relationships and how me and you treat people. It's completely and utterly dependent on those things, all right? So when Brent read, when Brent read Matthew 22, if you would like a shorthand version of what both of those words mean, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the other ones like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? When, when he says the other ones like it, okay, he means I'm not making these as two separate things. I'm saying they're two things, two sides of the same coin. So if you're wondering if you're loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, look around and how am I treating my neighbor? How do I relate to my family? How do I relate to my enemy? Okay? And so when he tells us to do this, here's the really good news, okay? The really great news is this. Could you imagine living in a place, all right, being in a community, being in a workplace, something like that, where every single person Every person in that community, maybe it's in your workplace, okay? Could you imagine everyone respecting every person simply because they bear the image of God? All right, that that's a starting place. Could you imagine people going, no, I don't gossip about my coworkers because they're made in the image. Of, it doesn't matter how bad they are. They're made in the image of God, right? That there's a level of respect, even in disagreement, of going, you want to know what? At the very least, we may not even be in agreement on righteousness and godliness and all those things, 
but where everybody respected one another in that way. Could you imagine in that same community when there was conflict, rather than running off and having, you know, some kind of big battle and all that kind of stuff, that people were eager to be reconciled with one another. Like, could you imagine working or living in a place like that where people came up and said, you know what I did? I said this thing and I did this thing and I please accept my apology. I don't want there to be something between us. All right. Would that be a good place or a bad place to be? Right. Could you imagine this? And so when you're looking at these things, this is exactly the world that Jesus is like describing to us. In order to be godly and holy, right here in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, it's like this little curriculum we have right there. And what he's saying is, it's applicable to us today, is he's saying like, hey, here's the thing, is obviously when he says don't murder someone, okay, you've heard it said, don't murder anybody. All right, they understood that, that made sense, but he said, here's the thing about this, don't even call anybody a name. Right? He's saying on this side of heaven, when we're tempted to be name-calling, when we're tempted to be like, you're a fool and you're an idiot and you're a jerk and you're all of those things, he's saying, no, 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 no. Be, the, be a kingdom person. All right? Be a kingdom person that says, man, if you have something against me, let's work that out. Rather than me going somewhere and calling you names. Right? That seems like a good thing to me. Okay, but here's the interesting thing is that's not going to exist in, in our world if we're going, you know what, if Steve did that better, we'd be better. You know, man, if KJ would get that, you know what, man, I really try, but if KJ or Byron or something like that, and it's so easy, instead of looking at this and going, wonder what, we're not very good at this by nature. I don't know if you agree with that or not. I want you to think about it because you may go, no, I, I'm like this. I'm, I'm this good. Well, amen. I don't know if most of us are this good, okay? He says this. Could you imagine this? Living in a world where people respected sexual boundaries. Because that's what he's talking about here in verse 27. He talks about adultery and lusting and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, well, what's the big deal? If I'm not, I'm just like looking at somebody and then I'm lusting in my mind, what's the big deal? Because you want to know what? That's not your property. <laughs> like somebody else's body is not your property. In mind or in deed. Like they're not yours. Okay? Could you imagine that? Like where you just go, man, I'm completely confident because I understand that people respect and love one another so well that there's even a respect of mental sexual boundaries. All right? The, the level of love and grace and mercy that would have to be in existence. So is this scary to be called to godly and holiness? I, I would say on the, on the contrary. We're being called into something that's wonderful and beautiful. And, and Peter is saying that can be this way. And in fact, it should be this way with us. Okay, it should be that way with us. This isn't even just, man, if Josh could do it or India or whatever, it's, it's us this way, okay? Could you imagine a community where there was no embellishment? There was no, like, um, over-exaggeration. It was just truth being spoken. Right? How good would that be? How good would that be? But here's my hope. I hope that we get this idea of going, I'm not naturally like this. 
Like, this isn't my natural thing, okay? And so go on back. Hang on to those thoughts, okay? But go on back to, to 2 Peter 3, because he's working with us through this. He's saying, this is how you should be in holy conduct and godliness, eagerly doing this. And he goes back into the heavens being on fire. And Don't forget this, verse 13. But based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell, okay? That right there should make our heart happy, okay? He, he says this, a new heaven and a new earth. Could it be that, that when Jesus comes back and there is a new heaven and a new earth, we're like, man, everything is made brand new except without any sin, without any, with complete and utter righteousness. We don't have to live the Sermon on the Mount anymore because the truth is, is there's no sin. This is the Sermon on the Mount, ethic and love and the service and all of those things, they're occurring unfettered. It's there absolutely, that's the way it will be. But could you imagine it's not just, we're not on clouds with harps like being born. Right? But that we're on an earth. Relationally. With material things. Okay? And, and, and I don't know if that you're like, man, he has lost his theological mind. Okay? <laughs> Except when it's described, even in Revelation, they talk about, man, all things are going to be made new. And they aren't going to be tainted by sin. Right? So, we have this idea of the now, of being able to live this way through repentance and, and, and diligence and all of these things that he's saying, but here's the deal. There's going to be a time when all of the rottenness and decay and sin and sinful inclinations are gone. And think about, man, how wonderful will that be? How amazing will that be? We're kind of in the minor leagues for that right now, right? And we're kind of this, but he goes on. And he says this, make every effort to be found at peace with him, that spot of blemish. And he talks about this idea, this, the entirety of this is talking about this idea of, hey, take note, and I'm giving you time, even if you've been baptized into Christ, he's saying, man, simply being baptized into Christ does not ensure some kind of like, you know, man, I've been baptized so I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. He's saying, no. There's a life to be lived, right? Being baptized into Christ doesn't, doesn't just roll through the desires of our heart and all these things, but he's saying, guys, we have an opportunity to repent of this, okay? So just from the passages I read, can you think of anything in your life where you're going, man, I'm not really like this all the time. Like I talk about people behind their back and I'm, I, I, man, I lust in my mind and I'm competitive and I'm not always loving people and I don't want people. In fact, I don't like people a lot of times. Right? Is there any aspect of that? Brett brought up a few, like gossiping, right? Like looking down on people, like kind of like a superiority complex. Like there's a lot of these things, okay? And so we're called to this idea of, of you know, uh, this opportunity for salvation, but to change and repent in the way we're thinking. And here's what's been really great for me reading this, okay, is my nature is to kind of make a list of those things that we just talked about, 
Okay, so I can make a list in my head. I'm like, man, okay, like arrogant, mean-spirited, angry, gossip. Let's say I can just get a working list of those things and go, okay, here we go. I'm going to not just try to do them. I'm going to pray. I'm going to surrender to God. I'm going to try to let him like form these things. But here's the interesting thing. That's still really not what he's asking us to do. Okay. Has anybody ever, I don't know. Does anybody here like reading Westerns? Do people do that anymore? Like Louis L'Amour? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, watching. So here's what's fascinating to me. When they started like putting towns up in the West, they put, it cracked me up, is they would put up like you go to the saloon. And the saloon was just, once you walked through the saloon doors, you were out in the open still. There was no building. It was just like the front. You go, you go to the mercantile. You go, you go <laughs> nothing. You just walk through a fake wall, okay? And on the, behind the wall is they have like the boards like propping them up. And Western towns, and I don't know this because I grew up in California, but we used to go and see gold town, you know, gold rush towns and all those things. Is they're really neat looking, okay? But they're not real buildings. In fact, they have to be propped up. Like from the outside, you go, that's a, that's a neat looking saloon. But when you look at it, it's got to be propped up by something. And what's interesting is, is that as we live in the world, we've all learned how to like be propped up in the world prior to becoming or knowing Jesus. Okay. We all learned how to do that. Okay. So in school, when people were like making fun of other people, okay. And, and I say that because maybe it wasn't you, maybe it wasn't me, but, but we kind of knew, man, they're making fun of that kid. How can I not become that person that gets made fun of? Okay. And then what you've learned is, oh man, you start making fun of other people first. Okay? And that is a really great survival tool in elementary school and middle school is, hey man, I've learned to do that, okay? I've learned in my family. Like, growing up, here's what I learned in my family, okay? I was like the, the guy who, I was going to make sure that I could make people laugh. Because there was conflict in my family. Now, my older brother was coming home, and he was a drug addict and drunk and fighting with my parents. And I was like, here's what I learned that was something that was really great because I got positive like, response back from my parents was I was like the joker, but I was also the kid that didn't do anything wrong. At least I didn't do anything wrong that they learned about. I was better than my older brother in that. Okay, I'm like, I'm going to hide it better. Okay, but I learned how to do that, right? And we all learn these things that kind of prop up something that's not like us, our real self, right? It's all kind of propped up, right? But there's, there, here's the thing, okay? And I'm speaking as a part of this group, is there's a group of us in the church that you did things in the world, okay? You lived in the world in a way that you were kind of like, you were successful in the world. Okay. You, were, you were out of yourself in the world. You knew how to make friends in the world. People accepted you in the world. You knew how to, you knew how to compete with the world to get ahead. Right? I knew how to do all of those things. I knew how to do those things as an athletic trainer. I knew how to, like, I knew how to scrap to get to the top. Okay? And those came with a lot of qualities that when I became a disciple, 
Those qualities, people were like, man, I really love those qualities about Keith, man. Look at him. He's really diligent. And then, see, I learned all of these things from the world. And, and so what I had a hard time learning was I may have had a lot of positive attributes when I became a Christian, okay? Except here was the problem. At some point, somebody needed to tell me, hey, you want to know what? Yes, dude, you, know, you have these things, but if that's not the real you, that has to go. And, and, and sometimes we can kind of overlook things in the church if it's success, if it's like really kind of like a born leader and all that kind of stuff. We kind of look the other way. And then there's folks where it's like they didn't quite learn those things and we can be a little bit more kind of expectant in those ways, okay? So why am I bringing this stuff up? Because it's not always the person that's just messing up all the time. It's the person that maybe they've created a facade for so long and people go, man, they're strong. Man, and then look at them. Man, look at how good they do spiritually. But you know, because I've been there before, you know that I am just propped up, man. I'm just propped up. Right? And the church thing comes to you, man, listen, we need you to do this, man, and you are great. And man, if more people were like you and and going, oh no, because I'm just a facade. Like I'm not, I didn't even die to myself all the way. I kept the parts that everybody liked. Okay? And and he's saying this, here's the deal. And Peter's brought it up before. First Peter 2, he says this. He said, Listen, you're being built, you, all, us, being built into this house, okay? That's not, he said, your stones, in fact, your precious stones that are being built. That's not a facade that you can push over. He's like, no, together we're being built up, okay? But repentance isn't just, let me change a couple of characteristics that aren't that great, okay? It's the idea of, here. so here's the great question that I learned, okay? is oftentimes the easy thing to do is to think of, okay, I need to repent. Um, so what are those things I need to repent of? All right, here's the question that's helpful to me is why am I the kind of person that acts this way? Just, I want you to think about that for a second, okay? It's like, okay, hey man, I can go down this and go, man, I'm lazy, gossipy, whatever it is and going down. Instead of going, okay, I'm gonna stop doing that as much. I'm going to pray and I'm going to surrender and all these things. But here's the question for me and you to ask ourselves. Why am I this kind of person? All right. Why, why am I the kind of person that does this? And, and I'm not talking about just like hating yourself, but it's that idea of if you go to your house today and you start seeing cracks in the wall, you can paste and glue and cement the things but if you don't ask yourself, why are there cracks up here? Well, your foundation is sinking. And, and unfortunately, I think that when we're talking about like repentance and coming back to this godly and holy mindset, it's very easy to just tackle the, the cracks here and there. Like it's easy to do that without going, hold on a minute. Why is this house crumbling? Like why is... <laughs> How on earth is somebody filled with the Holy Spirit? How did I become this kind of person? And most likely, we're going to learn that, man, I learned how to do this in the world. I learned that gossip works in the world. 
I learned that I can be successful by stepping on other people, right? I learned that I could be angry and keep people quiet. Like these are all learned behaviors in the world, okay? So as a disciple, when I'm like, oh, why do I get angry? Listen, rewind the clocks because I'm starting and beginning to think again exactly the way I thought before I was a Christian. Which is, man, when I get angry, I get what I want. When I get angry, people stop like messing with me. Right? When I'm when I'm gossiping or when I'm joking or what at least they're not doing the same back to me. Okay? And so again, part of this, hopefully, that we get help with and, and in verse 14 when he says make every effort to be found at peace with him without blemish okay is it's not this idea of, let me just be better but taking stock of you know is the normal filter that I'm looking at the world through a godly and holy lens and does the love of Christ compel me as I make decisions or have I gone back to the ways I thought when I was in the world, right? Like in the world, when you're scared, oftentimes we learn how to cope with that. And thinking, am I still doing that same thing? Or am I, or, or has my mind and, and thoughts changed to go, man, to hear the words of Jesus is like, you don't have to be afraid. Like all the ways in the world, yes, those things work for you in the world, but they're not meant to work for you in the kingdom of God. They're not meant to do that. And so we can just live kind of like a really like sluggish spiritual life. Okay? And so here's the verse that I think we can take with us, okay? Let's go over to James chapter 5. So go on back just after the book of Hebrews. James chapter 5, and again, this is one of those ones that might get your heart racing again. And uh, he, or James 5, verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Okay, now, so here's the thing is, is does that necessarily mean I'm suffering in pain? I'm suffering, listen, th there's... A chance at some point in all of our spiritual lives, and it might be happening right now, where you're suffering spiritually and hoping, like, I hope I can stay propped up. Yeah. I hope that can happen. If anyone among you is suffering, he should pray. Is anyone cheerful, he should sing praises. Is anyone sick, he should call for the elders of the church, and they'll pray over him, anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will restore him to health. If he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Okay? And again, depending on your background, you may hear that confess your sins to one another and you're thinking like, I go into a room and I tell some dude who's a priest or a minister or something, all of my sins. Okay, let's, let's like... Just if that's your thing, this, that's not what this is, okay? But you may also think, those are those times that I get together with a brother or sister and I'm scared to death because I did something wrong and I have to tell them what it is. That's not necessarily what he's talking about either. Okay? 
what he's saying is this is this is communal this is this is a total like community thing but he's saying here's the thing is is be good at recognizing where you're not meeting the mark of Jesus and not just in in action but where you're missing it in this idea of my heart and how I think about people how I love people is be aware and be ready to bring people into our lives and go let me just share with you there are some things going on here and I don't even know what to do with them okay we're not meant to take this this journey on our own and to figure everything out but going man I just need to let me hone this discipline and this this skill to just be able to sit with brothers and sisters and go like, man, I'm really missing the mark in this area. I'm not godly or holy, or I'm not, I'm struggling because I don't even know what the Bible teaches. I don't Whatever it is, is being able to talk to one another and to be prayed for, for people to go, hey, I don't know. Is the behavior that you're exhibiting, did you learn how to do that before you were a Christian? Yeah. Well, let's see what Jesus teaches us about that. Right? It opens the door for us to be in God's word together. Of going, man, I need some help here. This is where I'm falling short, okay? And so I wonder, this is one of those things that can become difficult for me because I can honestly just think, oh, no, confession is when you've really blown it. Instead of going, hey, let me bring you in. Let me bring you in. Here I am, and here's what I'm thinking. And not just let me bring you in so I can tell you that, but bring you in so you can speak to that. That's the scary part. What if a brother or sister were to go, Pete, that sounds like what you're doing, man. That's a worldly way of doing this. Like it's not being distinctive. And so, again, we go back to the holiness and godliness, and we're going, man, are we truly striving to be this distinctive? That's what we're waiting for this distinctive group. And that means how I make decisions in the way that I date and how do I make decisions in the way that I work and how do I make decisions about, you know, any number of things, being married and how do I make decisions about money and how do I make decisions about what's best for my spiritual life? Is it distinctively different than the rest of the world? Okay. And so again, boiling all of this down, in 2 Peter 3, where he says, since all of these things are going to happen, since there will be a time when Jesus will come back, it's clear what kind of people we ought to be as we wait for and earnestly, eagerly desire the coming of the day of God. Let's go. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC.